Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Good morning, good morning. It is oh, two minutes past the hour of nine o'clock. It is two. You're on Radio Marinara. This is 3RRR. I'm Anthony Boxhall. I'm Bron Burton. And I'm Brett Ditchfield. And we are in the same studio together. For the first time <laughs> in quite so some long. time. This is the first time I've met Brett in 3D. <laughs> oh, True. Ever. Yeah, yeah, ever. ever. Oh. Because, you know, like the last year, you know, Cabin Boy Diaries and we've been all online. And this is the first time you and I have seen each other in 3D in a year. I'm loving these reunions. I've been hearing them a lot on the airwaves. It is amazing though, isn't it? Like, yeah. Yeah. We just kind of sit here and... We're so used to talking to each other. Well, you know, precautions, but here we yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and I do think the full body suit, the you know, the biohazard suit mm. was a little over the top, but, you know, what the hell? Well, <laughs> it's matching. You can't be too careful. Yeah, it's it, matching. It is matching. Mm. And the turquoise yeah. is really becoming. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to thank uh, Tim for another, you know, three hours of power. Thank you, Tim, very much. Thank He's, you, Andrew, for Soulful Bits Live. Soulful Bits yes. this morning. It was wonderful. Now, if you're wondering what we're doing here, yes, Daylight Savings ended last night and it is now three minutes past nine. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time, Correct. not summertime. True. So this is Radio Marinara, not whatever it would have been if we... <laughs> no, I can never work that one out. Um, right. yeah, but we got our hour back. We did. Well, I just wasted it driving back from <laughs> Phillip Island. So I was like, so it's worked well for me, but I spent it on the road to get down here. So You would have had um, a lovely time driving listening to Tim the whole time. It was. And you know what? I left at six and the sun was coming up over the horizon. <gasps> and it's, it's been spectacular, that oh, sunrise. I know. The it's sunrise such is... a huge yeah, yeah. Yeah, bit of sun. So uh, Beautiful. no cars on the road. I might have gone a little bit faster than I should no, have. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. No, you no, didn't. No, no, no. It just I felt didn't. like it, Brett. It did because I was so free. The windows were open, the sun, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was and like, I was coming here. It was like, you know, that Brian Adams album from yes. 1983. You know, it was <laughs> The Boys of Summer. The boys, yeah. yeah, The Boy of Summer. The boy, yeah. yeah. You played that, didn't you? Yeah, I did, you did. Yeah. No, yeah. I was listening yeah. to Tim all the way home. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a very big show. We've got all kinds of stuff. Dave Donnelly's going to come in and tatter. tatter. Well, he's not coming in. He's going to be here, you know, virtually. Yes. Talking whale stranding, some real facts about whale strandings. Yeah. I want to ask him about this sighting of a blue whale off the West Australian coast as well. I know. Very exciting. Mm. And, and a non-stranded one, let's point out. Yes. Um, yeah, good. Because there was the one down Phillip Island that got stranded too. You heard about that, the sperm whale, female yes. sperm whale off uh, Forest Cave. Yeah, that was a real one because yes. Dr. Beach did mention one that didn't happen. Oh, it didn't happen. Dr. Surf did, I oh, believe. Dr. Surf oh, did. Yeah. That's right. Beg your pardon. Well, I was hoping to pop down and have a look. It's been a while. I don't think there was much left, but there was just too many people. I couldn't get out of the uh, out of the house. There was just too much traffic, so we didn't do it. So have and to have to defend Doctor Surf too. He went on uh, on advice from somebody else who he trusted. So he can't, you know. Really, we can't get good help these days. <laughs> um, and um, uh, Doctor Beck McIntosh is coming in. She, well, she's again on air. Um, the you know on the phone, we're going to talk about marine and coastal adaptations, and this time about seals, maybe penguins, but mainly seals. And then the cabin boy, we've let him out of the cabin boy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I'm going to be talking about navigation, which kind of summed up as uh, just getting from one place to another without banging your dangly bits. So, um, 
Yeah. Yes. Got to watch that. <laughs> I know. Dang, it hurts. So, yeah, we'll uh, work out how to do that. <laughs> yes, so that'll be later in the show. Um, and, of course, we got all the music and we got everything else going on. Do you want, should we do the weather? Yeah, let's, let's do, do the, the weather. weather. I think it's going to be a good week. It is. It's been warm the last few days. It's not going to be warm Oh, Thursday. <laughs> it's, like, it's like she's teasing us. I know. Just tell us. I'm reading the weather. When I said let's do the weather, what I meant was read it out for other people. But that's no, fine. Just have a look. <laughs> oh, I could just look and just, <laughs> just you talk amongst look. yourselves. I'm just going to so do the crossword. You, uh, I've got you, the Brett? crossword. Yeah. <laughs> 23 <laughs> today. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Mostly sunny. Slight chance of drizzle in the nor- northwestern suburbs in the evening. Near zero oh. chance of rain elsewhere. Winds north to northwesterly, 15 to 20 kilometres huh. an hour, becoming light before for dawn oh that's already happened and then becoming <laughs> southerly 15 to 25 oh. kilometers per hour in the early afternoon top of 23 tomorrow partly cloudy 20 same on tuesday same on wednesday 22 and then thursday yes possible shower but 26 so back up into that's nice oh, that's it's nice done. Mm. tropical yeah sort of and then friday 19 and saturday 17 but who knows what it will be like by then Tide times uh, at Point Lonsdale heading for a low tide at 10.23 this morning, heading for a high tide at 5.23 this afternoon. Mm. Um, surf forecast from Swellnet, and we always say this with a caveat that you should check Swellnet for the latest conditions because they can, can change between the time of publication of this hard copy <laughs> paper I have in front of me. <laughs> but according to what's printed in front of me, small surf and early light winds precede an afternoon increase in new swell that will favour the surf coast. Water temperature is 18 degrees, all very nice. Oh. Phillip Island, Willamai is looking good for experienced surfers. Would you concur, Brett? I would. We were down there yesterday and the experienced surfers were out while, and I watched them from the shore. Right. Very nice. <laughs> and uh, Mornington Peninsula, Small, clean surf to one metre at Portsea Building later. And on the surf coast out west, Fairhaven and Janjuk have small, clean waves. The reefs may have options after lunch. And I have an Antarctica forecast. Oh, an Antarctica forecast. So uh, thank you, Cliff, for sending this one through. How's the surf in Antarctica? Very flat, according to the pictures that Cliff sent through. Thanks, Cliff. We'll post these on our Facebook page. Oh, and very icy. You probably don't want to go. It's more like... It's like skating rather than oh, surfing, I think. Go. Sorry, I'm just trying to load the uh, his actual surf report, uh, his, surf, his weather <laughs> report from Casey Station. Uh, this was at 5.04 a.m. Antarctic time. Yeah. You're up early, Cliff. Is that allowing for daylight savings? I don't, or know. I don't know. Do they have daylight savings in Antarctica? This is, well, that's true. That's a good question. I, don't know. Yeah. I doubt they would. Because all the time zones meet in Antarctica. Let us know, Cliff. And why would you? Yeah. You wouldn't want to get up Because you early. could literally walk through all the time zones yeah. if you stood right there. You could. <laughs> you just go, here I am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's morning. Oh, it's morning. Oh, it's We've morning got 52 again. minutes left. Cliff, if you're listening, <laughs> let us know if you have um, daylight savings. Um, it is currently minus 20.2 oh. degrees centigrade oh. at Casey oh. Station with a wind, wind chill factor takes it to minus 33 Point three degrees centigrade with a ninety-two, sorry, seventy-two percent humidity, and uh, 18, 18 knot south to southwesterlies. It's the wind that's going to get you there. It's brisk. So yeah. I mean, the minus twenty is probably a bit balmy for oh, them, but the wind. Thanks, well. Cliff. They're on uh, WA time. Oh, there we go. Ah, okay. Gee, he's wow. And no, he's onto it. And no, God, not, hang on. And no daylight saving. No daylight saving. They're on WA time. So good morning to all our WA listeners who do not have daylight saving, so now we're only two hours difference. <laughs> and he sent the we're sweetest back photo now. of a seal. <laughs> I can't quite tell. I think it's an Antarctic fur seal, but let me know, Cliff. <laughs> 
just, we're just, just, <laughs> just, like, we're just having we're just a having chat with Cliff in Antarctica. You put a lot of pressure on him, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> what time? What kind what of time seal is that? Yeah. You know? We love oh. you, Cliff. Oh, oh and you should that, see the sunrise photo. Isn't that back? beautiful? Oh, my goodness. That is beautiful. That, that is was gorgeous. like me driving back from Phillip Island wow. this morning. Wow. Well, maybe not quite. Hey, so we've got three minutes to do some news. And I'm happy if we don't. I'm okay. But I did want to point out that this weekend would have been the Bell's Beast. Bell's Beast mm. Beach Easter Carnival, and I, I just want to. I'm, I, I'm not saying anything here. A moment silence, or but I, yes, it's in Newcastle mm. Easter. Not so. Good. And I can't tell whether this is a COVID-related thing, or the sport of surfing has become like F1, oh. and they do this around uh. the world, trading off cities against each other, surf waves against each other. But forty-something years, because mm, it was the longest-running surf competition, yeah, wasn't it? In one spot, yeah, in one spot. Oh, so, yeah, I, I think it's wrong. It's coming. It's coming back. They're having one there, but it's not going to be Easter. There was an alternative Bell's mm. Beach surf contest oh, that someone was putting on, like just go. mucking yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I don't know whether it was a female one or not. So, but it mm. was. There was. There is I something just, going on down there in a smaller way. I just yeah. feel like there's something going on here. I'd love to talk to Doctor Surf about it. Maybe we'll have a chat about that. Anyway, and Bron, you've got some news? It's bad enough that Sydney has Hamilton. They have to take a bloody surf tournament. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and it's got Newcastle. Seriously, Newcastle. Yeah. Really? Better waves than Wollongong. It's all right. We'll get it back. Oh, elephant seal. Thanks, Cliff. <laughs> <laughs> and a young one. Damn, we almost had it back then. You've got news? A couple of quick ones. Yeah. Um, this was one's from Coast Care Victoria. Uh, thank you, Phil Wisbowski, who has sent this one through, just letting us know about some um, upcoming Coast Care Victoria workshops on project management and grant writing, which is uh, really great to see and very, very practical. Um, so there are some dates for grant writing workshops. These ones have actually been moved from the previously scheduled dates. So Wednesday, 21st of April from 1.30 till 4.00, Tuesday, 27th of April from 9.30 till 12.00 and Thursday, 29th of April from 9.30 till 12.00 as well. Uh, there is a link which we'll put on our Facebook page. Um, it will be online format only and 25 participants per workshop. So uh, make sure that you can register as soon as you can. But you get all sorts of information about grant writing and um, and project management as well. So really cool stuff. So thank you, Coast Care Victoria team. Mm. Good stuff. We'll post that one on our, on our webpage. What else have I got here? Oh, quick, this one came through from Tangaroa. Sorry. Quick mention of Crib Point. Oh, God, yes. The news <laughs> of the week. The news of the week. Yeah, <laughs> the major news of the week. <laughs> Thanks, I think it's probably worth mentioning the um, <laughs> extraordinary that. decision, actually, by Minister Wynne. Twent- three decisions like this in 20 years. Wow. That is quite remarkable, yeah. using the using the powers of those acts yep. to yep. decide on the basis of in mainly environmental grounds to, put, to, to not allow a development to proceed. That's it. Big congratulations to the campaigners. Yeah. Um, Save Western Port, uh, VNPA were right behind that as well. Um, You've said it all, Anth. There's not really much more to say, but yeah, uh, big win. Yeah, big win. Oh, there we go. Big, <laughs> big win, win for big, big win. It's, it's the win of 2021. <laughs> it's the win. It would have changed Western Port forever, wouldn't it? It, like, would have been it just would have been a debacle. Yeah, you know. It, it's interesting also, it just goes to show that power of a very, very diverse and broad coalition mm. of yep. opposition. I mean, there were everything from, you know, Federal politicians and fishers, through to um, you know local grassroots, you know environment groups, through to just you know the person that had the local shop. You know, it was a remarkable coalition. Just want to read from um, this is from the VNPA who uh, I'm on their their uh, newsletter list, and they just sent this through, and I just wanted to mention it. 
Behind the scenes of the incredible success was a laborious and determined campaign. Uh, massive congratulations to community for passionate efforts to stop this environmentally damaging project. Thanks to all our supporters who sent emails, made submissions, stood on the steps of parliament or contributed financially. Hundreds of hours were spent reading and analysing reports, monitoring weeks of public hearings, working with barristers, preparing and presenting, defending and arguing the science. This is the work that our supporters made possible. So thank you again. So it's just, it's such an important one and to celebrate these wins when they do come along and it really just um, gives hope mm. to, uh, we know there are other campaigns running like the Save Bridgewater campaign, um, but it's, you know, particularly coming off the back of something like Bastion Point a few years ago when these wins happen, it's just so... Well, you've got to take them. You've got to take them. And em. celebrate them, yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, we welcome into the fish tank uh, young Dave Donnelly. Are you there, Dave? I certainly am. Good morning, team. How are we? Yay, Dave. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> How are you? How's Sunny Mornington? I, I am um, I'm very well today. Uh, Mornington is picturesque, very light winds, beautiful and sunny, and uh, apparently that's how it is all the time down here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what we hear. Hey, now, Bron said earlier that a blue whale has turned up off um, Western Australia. Oh, is that right? Well, yes, that is true. But you know what? I really prefer to talk about our local waters. But blue whales, blue whales in, in the Bremer sub-basin area, uh, first time a new new calf. When I say new, we, it's believed to be um, probably only days or weeks old when it was sighted. Um, and that is obviously fantastic news, a first record. Carving of blue whales is really poorly understood in the southern hemisphere, so a real tick in terms of uh, knowledge uh, for the for the region. But let's bring it closer exciting. to home. Yeah, let's bring it closer to home. Let's move further east. Absolutely. Look, um, the guys at the blue whale study, my colleagues down there, have recently conducted some aerial surveys of the bonny upwelling. Now, for a bit of background, the bonny upwelling is an area which is highly productive with nutrient-rich water making it to the surface around this time of year attracting all sorts of predators, including large blue whales. But recently, in the last 10 or so years, numbers of blue whales have been very, very poor. Um, But for the first time in nearly a decade, they seem to have returned in numbers. And uh, just on one survey last week, 22 blue whales were recorded by air. Wow. And that's just off uh, sort of between Portland, Lady Julia Percy Island, and across towards the South Australian border. So fantastic news for um, for the team down there. And is that is that the kind of timing we would normally have expected? Would it be at this time of the year the upwelling would be going and you'd see them coming in and it's kind of just a return of a past pattern or is it a kind of a new thing? Uh, look, I, I guess with, with blue whales, they tend to follow, where, like many predators, they follow where the prey are. Mm. And um, if the prey is not there for whatever reason, whether it's the upwelling's not um, firing or whatever the case may be, um, those animals just won't be present. But Recently, they are, and they're spread throughout a fairly large area. Um, and assuming, you know, when you're flying, you're going to miss more than you see. 22 is mm. a fair number of whales. Dave, can I just ask, with this, uh, with the amount of excitement that was generated by this sighting in Western Australia, and obviously we have blue whale sightings, you know, in, in far greater numbers closer to home, What what's the significance of the Bremer Bay sighting? Is it the fact that it was a baby? Yes, it is. Um, blue whales are seen on the Bremer uh, sub-basin 
um, I wouldn't say with regularity. There is regularity, but you don't see many there. <clears throat> we personally, uh, our, our, our scientific group who study killer whales in the region, have sighted blue whales on a few occasions. In fact, one day we saw a couple. But um, it more seems to be a transit-type uh, transit area where they're passing through to go somewhere else. Now, to see a calf of that size is remarkable anywhere in the country um, and in our, in our waters. So to, to be able to record that there sort of starts to make us think about, well, is this an odd calving time? Do they normally mm. carve in the Indonesian waters, Timor Sea and, and other places? Or is this uh, a true indication of what's going on? And I guess that's going to be a really hard question to answer without um, some great baseline information, which, of course, is very expensive and difficult to come by. Yeah. Hey, now you mentioned the size, Sonia, the, um, and just to remind listeners, you know, we're kind of all kind of implicitly talking about, you know, we kind of know how big they are, everyone knows how big they are. How big roughly would a blue whale, full grown one be, just reminding people, and then the calf? Right, so for our region, um, we mostly see pygmy blues at around about 24 metres or so. 24 um, metres, so that's two and a half times the goal square. Or how many London double-decker buses, because I can remember that from my uh, school book. <laughs> it pretty much is, that's a very good analogy, uh, very timely during football season. Um, yeah, so, uh, and of course the Antarctic blues occasionally um, are detected our waters, which go to a length of probably close to around 30 metres or so. So very, very large animal. Okay, so um, just to remind listeners. <laughs> <laughs> very large. In fact, the largest. Um, and for the, for the calves, they're pretty poorly understood down here in the Australian waters. But looking at the size of the animal compared to the body of the, uh, of the mother or the female, you'd be having to say that it was over six metres long. Wow. So that's, pretty, that's, that's a big baby. Oh my goodness, that's a huge baby. In anyone's terms, yes. yes. <laughs> now you're going to... Well, I was going to say, maybe is the sighting to do with the El Nino weather pattern? Like, because we've got it different this year. So would that influence the whale's migration? It's a really, really, really good question. That is uh, one that I do not know the answer to. And I'm not sure that many people do. I mean, yes, of course, it affects the ecosystem and the ecology of the regions. But is El Nino have, having anything to do with the... The bonnie firing? Oh, I don't know. Mm. The, the bonnie fires every year, or has been, uh, for so long, and then we've had some pretty bad years of late um, in terms of the productivity and the presence of blue whales and other species. But um, a good question. Uh, let me uh, deal with our uh, oceanography and people studying weather patterns and see if they might be able to answer that question a little more confidently than I can. Now, we did, Dave, we did plug that we're going to talk whale strandings, but there's been a bit of breaking news, speaking of small babies, well, large babies of whales, and so we might hold off for the strandings, but you, what's the other baby whale news that you wanted to share with us? It's fantastic news. For the first time on the east coast of Australia, during the time that we've been recording killer whale activity, we have what we can now say a newborn um, killer whale calf to an animal known as Triple Zero Four. Not a very glamorous name, I know, but perhaps now we can uh, start to consider a better name for her. Uh, that's a catalogue number, of course. Um, so recently, the team at uh, Wild Oceans Tasmania, an eco-tour group, photographed um, this uh, cow and calf on the Tasman Peninsula. Um, Pennycott Cruises also saw these uh, saw these animals and um, very kindly shared their footage and photographs with us. Um, and in fact, just this morning, I've received it back. 
because the animal is very brownish or yellowish in colour where it would otherwise be white. And that's typically um, an indication that the animal's being fairly newborn. So very, very exciting news. We, I can't wait to get into those photos, and I'll surely send some through to the team there at 3RRR yeah, at Marimara, Mara, and we can share the news uh, with, with all of our listeners and subscribers. There you go, Australian first. Um, the, um, tell me, like all mammals, do killer whale babies drink milk when they're first born, or are they actually able to... You know, kind of like sometimes you get predators that are switched on can almost hunt immediately. Yeah, look, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's, um, we humans are pretty poor when it comes to that sort of thing, aren't we? Uh, it's <laughs> quite a few years to just be able to stand up and walk around, whereas most other mammals are doing it within hours. Um, killer whales are no different except that they're in the ocean. So they can swim straight away. They may be assisted with their breathing in terms of being able to realise they need to go to the surface. Um, and often the cow would do that for them in the first few uh, instances. Um, as far as feeding goes, yes, they're basically a floating milk bar for a few months right. at least. Um, right. So um, she, the calf will be suckling on triple zero four. And again, we will rename her at some point. <laughs> yeah. um, but that, that period of time will last several months before they start to um, get the hang of feeding for themselves. But it's a, uh, it's a fantastic piece of news and we just can't get this stuff done. Literally would not get any of this done without citizen science. It, it is the basis and foundation of what we do with killer whales in Australia. So thank you to everybody who contributes to, the, to our uh, humble little program, particularly those eco-tour operators who are so consistent and uh, supportive of our work. That is sensational. Uh, it's been wonderful talking to you this morning, Dave. We will, maybe next time we'll do strandings, but we had better news today with new births. So that's, you know, more fun to talk about that. What a great thing on Easter to talk about a new baby killer whale first for the East Coast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys, and have a wonderful Easter. We look forward to uh, chatting to you again soon, and we'll surely get some photos through to you of that uh, young killer whale calf. Brilliant. Can't wait. Please do, Dave. We'll put them straight on our Facebook page. Good on you. Thanks, team. I really, love, really love coming on today, and it's, uh, it's a it's a beautiful day, and it's some great news to talk about. So, uh, well done on uh, on, the, on a great show this morning. <laughs> All right, cheers, Dave. See ya. Well, how's that? Australian first. We don't get many Australian firsts. You heard it first. Yeah, Just it such a positive thing, isn't yeah. it? Like, you know, like, in the, yeah, so... Oh, well, no, maybe uh, next time I talk to him, but th they're born with, like, teeth, though. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. like, I'm going suckling with teeth like that? Mm. <laughs> it's just like... I reckon the, I reckon the mama killer whale can probably comp Probably deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah probably wonder what they're going to name it. Oh, should we, oh maybe <laughs> we should do a comp. Not that it will ever know. <laughs> should we do a competition? <laughs> yeah, why not? <gasps> as what long as it's not killer whaley mckiller whaley face or something. <laughs> you know. That seems to be the trend, doesn't it? <gasps> Have a chat to Dave. Let's see if we can yeah, do a comp. Yeah, send it through on, on our, Dave, on our Radio Marinara Facebook page. What would Not that we're, you know, giving... <laughs> not that it'll necessarily get up, but, yeah, what would you name the baby killer whale? There you go. Not triple zero four A. We have... We're joined by Dr. Rebecca McIntosh this morning, marine scientist from the Phillip Island Nature Park, an annual regular on Radio Marinara. Beck's going to join us to talk about the climate adaptations for Victoria's seals, and we'll touch on penguins a bit. Good morning, Beck, and welcome back to Radio Marinara. Good morning, Ed. Thanks for having me. Love coming on the show. So the, this particular regular spot that I do every month is about marine and coastal adaptations, and we're looking at just different adaptations from different communities, and they are people communities and they are natural communities and ecological communities, and how they are either dealing with or hopefully going to deal with adapting to climate change. 
So I noticed this week that penguins were in the news a bit um, for increasing in numbers. But then, a, right. but then a bit of an issue about warming of the oceans and their food, etc. Um, now, I thought we'd have a look at seals and see if seals are similarly impacted. So what do we know about seals? And if they can, let's, let's go through all the bits of, you know, the climate impacts. What do we know about seals and if they can or how they could adapt to, say, sea level rise? Oh, that's um, a good place to start because, as you can imagine, mostly the fur seals of southern Australia um, and the sea lions, they are breeding on low-lying areas, little offshore islands, little rocky outcrops and beaches. So um, in some places, when the sea level rises, they've got higher land to to go to, such as maybe Deanmar Island or Lady Mm -hmm. Julia Percy Island off Portland, the Aussie fur seals there actually get right up onto the top of, of Deanmar Island down on the on the southern coast of it. So they've got a bit of room to, to move there. However, at Seal Rocks, which is 1.8 kilometres off, um, off the end of Phillip Island at the Nobbies there, mm. it's all very low-lying. And, and basically um, some research done by McLean et al. Um, shows that 100% of their breeding habitat, their currently used habitat, will go underwater with predicted sea level rise oh. and i think that'll be pretty typical of a lot of a lot of first seal colonies so so that okay okay that's not so in within this century or even earlier yes even earlier and these even are earlier. the projected so, rises you know of what say 0.8 centimeter 0.8 meters that's right that's right and that's oh. um that's from for example a one in ten year storm as well and 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 surges that might pass through at the moment when we're out there if there's a storm uh the ocean can actually move right across seal rocks okay. now so we we have storms where the seals are wa- the pups are washed off off the rocks now so we'll come yeah. back to what they do in a tick but i, I just want to clarify for people you know this because I, I this happened a lot with the floods one in a hundred year and one in ten year yeah. doesn't mean they mm. happen one in a hundred and one in ten it means a ten percent for a one in ten there's a ten percent chance of it happening every year and That's for a right. one in a hundred, there's a hundred one percent chance of it happening every year, because I think. So what happens now? Let's just take a real example now. If there's a big storm surge, and you said that they mm. wash off, and some probably die, but do do if the lower than ones, what what do the seals just go and find another rocky place up the coast, or what do they do? Well, sometimes you actually have to look backwards, I guess, to try to understand what might happen in the future. So. Um, at this point, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the Eastern Kulin Nation and um, for this region that we're, we're talking on today and about with Phillip Island, the Bunurong, and, and we're going back to colonial sealers' records um, as, a, as a starting point. We'd mm-hmm. like to have other conversations too with, um, to learn more about what traditional knowledge might be out there. But basically, um, going back to the sealers' records, trying to understand where the seals were, prior to their almost annihilation in yeah. Bass Strait when the, when the colonial sealers just wiped them out in, a, in just a matter of 40-odd years and, um, and see if there are going to be sites that are going to be suitable for them to move to because the Australian fur seal, for example, um, they breed across from South Australia through Bass Strait down to southern Tasmania and up into southern New South Wales, Montague Island. Yep. So... Um, you know, at the moment, the, the colonies in southern Tassie are, are doing well. The seals there, they're, they're, their numbers are increasing, pup numbers are increasing. 
Um, however, the Bass Strait colonies where, where most of the population is aren't doing so good. So, um, and so there's a yeah, ch- we're hoping they'll move south and there'll be sites for them to, to move to. So, yeah, the move south thing. That, so let's jump to another known impact of climate change in the water and that is the warming of the sea. That's right. What, what like... What does that do to seals and how do seals kind of deal with it? Can they physiologically deal, because they're mammals, can they deal with the warmer water or do they need to kind of not have that? Yeah, there has been some um, good research by Monique Lads from Macquarie Uni, her PhD, uh, where she compared the three Australian species, the Australian sea lion, Australian fur seal and the New Zealand fur seal, and she looked at um, at their physiology the standard metabolic rate, which is their energy use. And she found that with increasing temperature, the two first seal species were better able to adapt to mm. a warmer temperature than the, the sea lions. So unfortunately, the Aussie sea lions are already endangered and their numbers are decreasing. And, you know, they're one of the most unique species in the world. They're the only mammal that is asynchronous in its breeding cycle, a seasonal as well. So, you know, they breed roughly every 18 months and every colony breeds at a different time. They're, they've broken all the rules of seals. You know? mm-hmm. Seals breed annually, they're really seasonal and the sea lion have, have really got their own little thing happening. I think only the, um, the two-toed sloth or something is remotely similar and even <laughs> no, they're different. Yeah, hey, and also, so if you don't, I, really don't want to lose the sea lions. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, and you're going to do um, apologies, um, Beck, um, you know, Sea lions, don't they have different fur layers to seals as well? And so so therefore, is that something to do with the way they're not able to survive? Can they not shed or something? Is that... Well, they still they still um, shed, but they've only got one layer of fur. Not the right. the fur seals have the dense underfur and the sea lion and the and the top layer of guard fur, whereas the sea lion only has the guard fur. And they're a bigger animal, you know. They're yeah. they're they're quite big and chunky, and um, and they work really hard. They they're benthic. They're diving continuously, and they're feeding their pup for eighteen months. You know, they're they're working really hard high phylopatries, so they breed where they were born. They they can't move like the fur seals can. Mm. So there's there's several reasons why they okay. they may not cope as well as the as the fur seals. Okay, uh, we're not doing too well. This is zero for two. What about ocean? Sorry, as- <laughs> no, no, we're no, learning. No. We're, we're learning. learning. What about ocean acidification? Now, so ocean acidification, I suspect a slightly more acidic ocean is not going to affect the seals directly. But what about what they eat? No I mean, do way. we know? Well, yeah, we do know a lot about that. So, okay. you know, when you talk about ocean acidification, you know, your, your basic uh, food web can mm. be disrupted. So if mm. you remove the animals out of the food web that have the hard exoskeletons or the shells, then um, you're disrupting the food web. So basically, um, yeah, ocean acidification isn't really good for, for anybody. Yes. <laughs> now, I'm going <laughs> to... I want to jump to... Um, to, I mean, really, uh, you know, to, to be frank, you know, if we hit a, if we hit Paris, there's still we're still locked in 72 centimetres of sea level rise in our region mm. anyway. You know, globally it's a bit higher, but in our region, 72 centimetres. So we've got to get hit Paris, and basically it is about lowering emissions and stopping fossil fuel use. Let's just be clear. Let's change the way we do this, and we can do it. It's starting to happen. However, is there anything, you know, in the wings about kind of yeah, encouraging seals to adapt. Is there science happening with uh-huh. you know, driving adaptation like there is with coral? Yeah. Or? Well, um, I, I'm a creative person. You know, I think we're tough scientists where we're always super creative. And I've got um, some harebrained ideas about maybe having this amazing sculpture um, 
competition that maybe we can build some extra habitat for them on still rocks or something. But I don't know. That's my, my that's my probably read too many science fiction novels or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, but you know that would have to obviously things like that when you're altering environments, um, stuff like that would have to be done in in collaboration with traditional custodians and and you know you're changing changing the way things things are so um maybe uh and very expensive and what materials would you yeah. use that would that would be suitable so maybe maybe it's a bit more about bolstering those the more southern habitats or, or finding this is what i'm most interested in harebrained schemes aside finding the um the places where they used to live finding which yeah. ones are going to be more resilient under climate change and and getting some protections in there early because the seals won't go there if there's if there's people disturbing them. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you know maybe we need more protection in yeah. the places where we think they might they might be best suited. It gives them the space to to move. Thank you so the much. Sea lions are another oh, ball game because you know they don't move. So yeah. We have to for them now. On the, on the bizarre kind of upside, I know it sounds kind of weird, their numbers are so much lower than they were pre-colonisation. So therefore, yes. we do know they can go back. They That's can right. expand, you know. But you, as you point the out, the habitat, there. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The habitat and the food. That's yeah. what they need, yeah. Hey, Beck, thank you so much for to kind of, you know, like bringing us kind of up to speed on potential opportunities or challenges facing seals yeah, no and their yeah, adaptation. People can do things. They can choose the ethical super. They can choose a, a green energy provider. There's stuff we can all do. Absolutely. Hey, thanks so much, Beck. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Bye. <laughs> Dr. Rebecca McIntosh from Phillip Island Nature Parks there. And, of course, now it is the time. <gasps> time to open the hatch. <laughs> oh, it sounded so much better before, that sound effect. <laughs> Let's let the cabin boy out. No, it didn't work. <laughs> nah, that, nah, nah. Nah, I'm staying down here for that. No <laughs> we, way. We actually practised that. that. We did. How about that? Well, getting better. Is that better? Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that the cabin boy running up the stairs? Well, hopefully that's what everyone's got that picture in their mind. Yeah. I don't, although maybe yeah, not. Whoops. Don't have that picture in your mind. No. Hey, we're going to talk about navigation. So nice. it sounds simple. Well, you know, you stand on the uh, shore of oh, Port Phillip Bay and you look out there and you think it's a vast expanse of water. But... There's a few little hidden things that you need to know about. So um, if you um, you are cruising around, you really got to know your draft of your boat. So from your waterline down to the last little bit of your boat. So it might be your keel, it might be your rudder, or even might be your, your propeller. So, so you that's like the depth that goes underwater. The depth, yeah. Right. So you really need to know that yes. to be, yeah. Another good thing to know is your <laughs> That's a bit draft. like driving into an underground car park, not knowing you've got something on the yes. roof. Yep. Well, that's Ooh. your next one, your, your air draft. <laughs> right. You've got to know how far out of the water because if you're going up the Yarra or something, you've got to fit under the Balti Bridge. Or another one is Phillip Island too. If you're coming in on that eastern entrance, there's the bridge from San Remo to New Haven. You've got to know that you're going to fit under there. Mm. I was on a, a boat on the river this mm. week. Uh, one of those little river boats, yep. very flat ones, and the tide was up a bit. And the captain said, "I'm going to blow the horn as we go under the Queen Street Bridge. And if you're standing on the back deck, duck, you will lose your head. You'll lose your head. <gasps> yeah. Wow. It was like, oh, okay. Has that San Remo Bridge taken out boats? Kind of, you know, Montague Street Bridge style. <laughs> um, <laughs> it doesn't quite have the reputation, but I'm sure it has. In you know, in, over the years, yeah. yeah. But uh, so. 
that's just another thing to watch out. But um, the main way to navigate nowadays is with a chart plotter. So it's just like the GPS you've got in your car. Mm-hmm. So it's got the plot of all the charts and all that, and then you can work out. It's got all. It's just like a paper chart, but electronic. Yeah. So, but the only thing sometimes when you're driving down the street. And it's got you over there. And you know you're on the road and you're not over there. Yep. Mm. You can actually tell on a road. In the water, you can't. Mm. So they always say don't rely on your chart plotter because you may be not where you are. Oh, totally. So there's been a few shipwrecks because of that. They're saying, no, the chart plot is telling us here. Uh, we're 10 metres away from that rock and it's not quite right. Yeah, so, it's yeah. a bit like Google Maps telling you to go left here. And yes. you go, hang on, it's a one-way street the other way. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, or whatever. It's got bollards yeah. up now. I can't do that. Yeah. yeah. So when we mm. normally um, sail, we use the chart plotter on the boat, which is quite the, like the GPS, mm. or the Navionics, which you can download on your phone. So just that we're comparing both back and forth. <gasps> but there is a – well, there's a story on those charts and on those chart plotters. It tells you the boys, you know, what boys um, – Especially at night, they will flash, and it will tell you if how many times they're flashing and the distance between the time between each flashes. Mm, yeah. So you can then pinpoint which boy you are and where you are. Mm. Um, often, if you're coming into our harbour, there's lead lights, so you may see them on the shore if you're on the uh, headlands or something. It's two big navigation aids, and when you're out to sea, you line them up. <clears throat> so. They're in line, one above the other. Yeah. And if that's – once you've got that, you know you're in the channel and that you can just proceed along that line. Yeah. So if you stray off a little bit, they'll they'll move a bit. So so you still – even though there's this great electronic stuff, you still have to use your skills yeah. as a navigator. And you've got to read the chart yeah. and that. So, yeah. So gone are the days. I, I still think there's still – everyone thinks you need by law to carry paper charts, but I don't think you do. Well, you mm. might, but I don't think anyone's going to be uh, – Yeah. 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 Um, and also the boys, like there's a lot of shipping channels out through Port Phillip Bay, so they don't sort of apply so much to um, small craft, but you've just got to be aware, shipping channels, stay out, ships are coming, they're coming fast, <laughs> yes. and all things like that. But there's a million and other ones, yeah, marking reefs or shipwrecks and that, and there's cardinal points which tell you, uh, so it's east, west, north, south, and it just tells you which way the safe water is. So if and you're, are you you're allowed to cross a shipping channel. Oh yeah, but it's a bit like a train. You kind of make sure there's not one coming. Yes, really hard. And you don't anchor in the <laughs> middle yeah, of the shipping right. yeah, channel yeah, yeah, because yeah. Uh, and they come fast. Those yeah, ships. Yeah, they, they, they look like they don't, but they do, don't they? Suddenly they're on you. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so you got to be aware of that. So navi- yeah, so navigation basically it is getting from one place to another without banging your dangly bits. So it's <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah, but. As I said, a chart is a it's a world of information. You don't realise how detailed those charts in once you know the codes and the words to re- actually read it. So, and they, and they're constantly getting updated with technology, aren't they? Like yeah. new mapping, lidar mapping, all the mapping you know that that's been been happening in the last few years. Well, even the charts, there would always be a notice to seamen to uh-huh. uh, actually update your charts uh-huh. and. It's also got the compass variation on your charts too. The north as north moves. Yeah. yeah, magnetic compass moves. So you can work that out from your chart too. So it'll be dated and then you'll know how to do that too. And are there still things on our local charts that, you know, because what I loved was when we, you could see like 
perhaps who'd charted it. There's, are there still things on our local charts that Flinders charted that no one else has mapped since? Maybe. I haven't oh, bought a paper chart yeah. for quite a while. I've got them on board, but, yeah, I haven't bought a paper chart. for so. But they're a work of art, really. They, they? they should be framed almost, oh, yeah. Gorgeous. Is that pretty standard now? People don't carry paper charts anymore? Oh, yeah, yeah. Everything's off the uh, off the electronic. Wow. So, yeah. Do and you feel vulnerable if you haven't got a paper chart as backup? <laughs> well, the thing is with a paper chart, you've got to also mark where you are all the time. So you've right. got to log. That's where you log how far you've gone. And then before then, if you didn't have a GPS, you could take a triangulate. You could take a compass mark from a, a mark and then another one and then triangulate where you are and that's where you are. So, yeah, it's a little bit – and I'm not even going to get into ocean navigation with your – yeah, by oh. the stars. Far too hard for me and far by too much stars. mathematics. Yeah. By the stars. By the stars, yes. Far too much mathematics. Oh, yeah, I completely. love it. Like so, all yeah. Pythagoras and, you know. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You would shoot, you would position from the stars and then there's a chart to... But uh, surely that's, uh, you know, on digital as well now too. It is, but, you know, yeah, yeah, there yeah. are some sea salts that are, you know, like, oh, no, this electronic stuff. <laughs> and, they all, yeah. and they all sound like pirates. They do. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help that. <laughs> so that's navigation, basically. It's a little bit harder than what it seems. You don't just jump in a boat and go for from one to the other because you could end up a little bit out of the water. Whoops, sorry. I was trying to, I was trying to bring that up slowly. I wasn't trying to cut you off there, uh, yeah. cabin boy. So that's it for the week for the cabin boy. I'm going to yeah pop back below and probably put the kettle on. <laughs> nice. Are you heading out over the next couple of days? No, I'm home for good. Everyone else is still down the island, but I thought I'm not going to go back down and then come home with the mass. Yeah. So I'm home by myself. Bliss. We sat in the. Um, we went down the west coast a couple of weeks back and sat in the John Car Park for a good couple of hours. Yeah, yeah, and went eight k's. <laughs> I saw a funny meme on that saying, you know, Easter's that time when you you swap your two hour commute to work for your ten hour commute to your holiday. <laughs> <laughs> You're sitting in the same traffic with the same people, and even more people when you get there too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Um, thank you very much to Dave Donnelly and the new whale news, all the baby whale news. Thanks to, to Beck McIntosh, Dr. Beck McIntosh from Phil Pond Nature Parks. What have we got next week? Next week, uh, Farm is in with me. Um, Rex is going to be in as well and Jeff Maynard. Oh, and what I need a show. To, Yes, it'll be awesome. And a super quick thank you to Tim for um, very short-term fill for me a couple of weeks ago when I suddenly got whacked over the back of the head with the flu. Yeah. So, Thank you, Tim, very much. Bron has been in a biohazard suit. All day. <laughs> <laughs> the last two weeks. Hey, Indeed. the doctors are coming out. They're lined up. They're ready to go. We've got about 20 seconds of this left. See ya. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.